Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I believe I have an appointment this week here on the platform with one Lauren Karpenko. Is Lauren here? Ah, there you are, Lauren. Come right on up. I'm delighted to know that you're here. That makes things a lot easier for me. So come right on up, Lauren. Now, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, I had an appointment here with Lauren last week. Hi, Lauren. And I gave Lauren a gift last week. You're welcome to set it down there. Uh, she got to open it, and, and Lauren, so you took the gift home, did you? Yes. Good. Did you play with it? Yeah. You did. Do you have a brother? Yes. Did he play with it? Yeah. All right. And did you like it? Yeah, it was fun. Good. And your parents, they said, we want you to keep this and play it every day for the rest of your life. They didn't say that. That's interesting. No. I thought they might not say that. Now, we had an appointment last week, and the appointment was that you and I would come back here, and you would have to re-gift either that gift or another gift like it. So I see you've brought a gift with you. I don't want you to tell me what it is, but you're ready to re-gift it? Yeah. So what are you thinking about re-gifting? Do you like that concept? Um... It's tough, but... Uh... <laughs> it's tough if you got a good gift. Yeah. If you didn't get a good gift, it's not that tough, you know. <laughs> but that was a good gift, wasn't it? It's harder re-gifting when you get it. I would be fine gifting um, the Nintendo Switch, but it's hard when you play with it first. I see. Oh, okay. Then it kind of gets into you. That's a very wise comment. Okay, very good. Well, we have someone else we're going to meet here this morning, Lauren, and that's Valentino Corrales. Goes by Val. Okay, Val, here you come. Very good. We're glad to have Valentino here today. And what I'm going to do with Valentino is the same thing, Lauren, that I did with you. We're going to let him open the gift, let him see what it is that he's got here, and then he's going to have to make a decision. Come here, Valentino. How are you this morning? Good. You doing well? You know what season of the year this is? Christmas time. Christmas, absolutely right. Do you like Christmas? Yes, I like it a lot. A lot, huh? Mm -hmm. What do you like about Christmas? Well, it's the spirit of giving and celebrating the birth of Jesus. That's perfect. That's a very good answer, especially in church. That's a great answer. <laughs> now, are you thinking about what you're going to be giving people this year? Mm-hmm. Mom and... Friends and family members, you got all that, pastor, all that, you've got everybody you're giving gifts to? Think so. Pretty much, think so. Okay, very good. Well, we have a gift for you today. Now, do you, you've heard of this concept called re-gifting, right? Yes. All right. Can you, can you tell these good folk out here what re-gifting is? Re-gifting is giving something to someone in the need of something that they really need. That they really need. That was given to you, right? Mm -hmm. 
You think that Lauren said regifting is hard in some cases and easier in others. Do you think regifting is easier or hard? A little hard. A little hard. What makes it hard? By choosing a gift that um, you give to someone. Ah, so if it's a gift you like, is that easy or hard? A little hard because you have to think of who is giving the gift. Ah, very good. Well, this is the gift we have for you today, Lauren. So I want you to maybe, I'm sorry, Val, maybe, Lauren, you can help him with some of the paper there. So you pull the paper out. You give that to Lauren. Let's see what's down in there. Aha, uh-huh. I see what's down there. Why don't you pull that out? Very nice, a Nintendo Switch. That's, I have discovered that that's a very popular gift. People love, kids love, maybe I should say, and dads, Nintendo Switches. So you're going to be able to take that home, and here's what I'd like you to do, Val. I'd like you to take it home, like you to take it out, like you to play with it, like you to enjoy it. And then I want to meet you back here next Sabbath. Will you meet me here? Yes. All right. And I want you to bring a gift. It doesn't have to be this gift, but it needs to be. It can be, but it needs to be a gift. Are you up for that? Yes. All right. There's very something good. else in there, too. There's though. something. Okay. We'll tell what. Oh, my goodness. There is something else in there. Yeah, pull that out. Oh, okay. Look at this. Wait, 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 wait. I think this is what you're talking about, right? Okay, you got a lot of stuff, so let me help you hold some of this. You need to look at that right there. No, 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 this one right here. There you go. (laughs) All right, here we go. There we go. So that's, you've added to it. And this is called, can I pull the, the, the bow off of it? Restart, lose your memory, find your life. Wow. All right. Lauren, you're the woman. That'll be very good. That'll help Val a lot this coming week. So I... I really hope, though, that you don't lose your memory about meeting me here next week, okay? So just don't, don't forget that, because that'll be very important. So you can put all that back in there, and Lauren, you can put the paper back in there. And I want to say thank you to both of you very much. Lauren, thank you for the gift, and Val, we'll see you next week. Okay. Yeah, you can take it with you. All right, blessings. Thank you very much to both of you. So I've been learning from the kids these last three weeks, learning about regifting, and I agree with some of what was said here today. Regifting is not hard if the gift isn't that good, but if the gift is good, it gets a lot harder. In fact, I've tried to put myself in their mindset and thinking, if I got that particular gift, a Nintendo Switch, I understand it's a really good gift. If I got that gift and I really liked it, what would I bring back the next week? And I thought, I'd bring something really good, like a really nice baseball or a really nice golf ball or something. It's it's brand new. But would I give the Nintendos? And then I remember, oh, yeah, they're watching, so I probably would do it. Regifting is not always easy. The cultural concept, as you know, is to regift what you don't want. But we've been noticing that the spiritual concept is to regift the best thing you've ever received. I wonder at Christmas, what might be among the best gifts you've ever received? I want to suggest a gift to you today that is life-changing. May, it may be underlined by something that John Stott said. 
Many of you are familiar with the name John Stott. John Stott was one of the most keen theological minds, certainly of the 20th century, maybe of any century. In fact, in 2005, Time magazine voted John Stott one of the 100 most influential people on the planet. Some of you will remember, we had the distinct and singular privilege of hosting Dr. Stott here at our church. He came and spoke to us. It was a memorable experience. So John Stott, writing about his location in London, wrote about two buildings, two domes, and he wrote about what is seen on the top of those two domes. So we're going to put those on the screen so that you can look at them. The two domes are one, St. Paul's Cathedral, and two is Old Bailey, which is the criminal courts building. So as you're looking at this right here, you see in the foreground Old Bailey. And on the top of the dome of Old Bailey is Justice holding the scales in her hand. But if you look in the background on the left side, you can see another dome and another figure pointing up toward the sky. This is St. Paul's Cathedral. And on St. Paul's Cathedral, at the top, is a golden cross. If you get lined up just right, you can see both of these domes and the figures on them back to back. So with those domes and their symbols on them in mind, I want to read you the words of Stott. Stott said this, Crossing Waterloo Bridge and looking northeast, one has a fine view of the city skyline, and in particular of those two domed buildings, the Old Bailey, the Central Criminal Court, and St. Paul's Cathedral, the Mother Church. At the pinnacle of each dome is mounted a significant symbol. At the top of the Old Bailey stands the classic God of justice, blindfolded for impartiality, wielding the sword of justice in her right hand, holding a pair of scales for the sifting of evidence in the left. At the top of St. Paul's, however, is a great golden cross. Many people think Christianity is a religion of the scales. They imagine that every time they sin, God flicks that sin into one pan, while every time they do a good deed, He flicks it into the other. And they're hoping against hope that the scales may just tip down in their favor. But no, Christianity is not a religion of scales, but of the cross. For if the scales stand for our unfinished works, the cross stands for the finished work of Christ. It tells us Christ died for our sins once for all, that we are forgiven. It invites us to come to Christ saying, nothing in my hand I bring. And so Stott said, standing there on Waterloo Bridge, you can see two symbols jutting into the sky. The scales. And by the way, Stott is right. Many have thought Christianity is a religion of the scales. Do more good than bad, and you're in good shape. In fact, one no less than the great boxer Muhammad Ali, in a classic statement, underlined the reality of that approach to religious faith. In an interview, he was asked, and I want to read you his answer. Ali said this, One day we're all going to die, and God is going to judge our good deeds and bad deeds. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. Classic statement of a religion of scale. 
Just make sure you do more good than bad, and all is good. But otherwise, you're in trouble. Stott said that's one approach. But then jutting into the sky at a higher level is the dome of St. Paul's perched atop which is that symbol of the finished work of Christ, of the fact that we are not a religion of the scales, but a religion of the cross. I had a great conversation, a lot of it through text. My good friend Larry Thomas, just in the last couple of days, and we were texting back and forth about this reality, and he shared with me, if Ali made a classic statement about the religion of the scales, then Rico Tice made a classic statement about the religion of the cross. Rico Tice is associate minister, evangelist at All Souls Church, Langham Place in London, where John Stott had been rector. Tice captures the essence of the religion of the cross in this simple statement. Ty says, the world says, do, do, do. Jesus says, done, done, done. <laughs> that's the religion of the cross. And that's what came to us at Christmas time. Greatest gift. A religion that says, I will do what needs to be done, and you can receive it, and you can stand in the forgiving grace of God. So if you came into worship this morning, inwardly bowed and bowed, inwardly weighted down, stooped under a burden of guilt, then let me just say to you, it's Christmas. There's good news. To quote Stott in the statement we read, three words. You are forgiven. The fact that Jesus came to save us, to forgive us, is underlined in both of the Gospels that tell the account of His birth. Of all the books, of all the chapters in Scripture, in fact, of all four Gospels, only two Gospel writers tell us the stories that happened at the birth of Jesus, Matthew and Luke, the only two. So I'm going to draw just a piece from one and a piece from the other to underline the nature of what happened at Christmas. So first of all, we go to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And we find Mary, Mary listening to the angel and what the angel is saying to her. And this is key to what the angel says. Matthew 1, verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. Religion of the cross, standing high above the wrecks of time. Done, done, done. And then Luke. We walk out into the field, out to those shepherds, the nip of the cold night, taking our breath away. But that's not all that takes our breath away. Because we hear a word from the angel to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Matthew's gospel, he will save his people from their sins. Luke's gospel, a Savior has been born. A Savior that brings to you a message of reconciliation with God, a message of forgiveness. So let there be no question. No question about the fact that whatever condition you brought with you today, God forgives. It may be something in the long-distant past, something with which you have struggled for many years. If that's the case, then remember the man who struggled in such a way, who in a dream appeared before God, and God asked him, why so downcast? And he told him what had happened and how he had, in spite of his request for forgiveness, had continued to struggle with it. And God says, why would you struggle? And the man said, because I feared what you would think of what I did. And God said, I don't remember what you did. In fact, I distinctly remember forgetting that. It may be something you've struggled with in the long past. Today the word is, you are forgiven. Or it may be this week. You messed up. You blew it flat on your face in the mud. You're still feeling the shame of that. Message to you? Forgiven. You come to church at Christmas time to know the Savior is born. He will save his people from their sins. But there's a problem. Because as you came in the door, somebody stuck a bulletin in your hand. You looked at the front cover of the bulletin and you saw that word regifting. The sophisticated and classy art of regifting you saw on the bulletin cover. First thought that went through your mind was, I didn't know regifting was sophisticated and classy. I thought it was a little trashy, to be honest with you. Well, but we're at church, and we're talking about good gifts. Now you're realizing, I am to take that gift and regift it. That could be a problem. I remember. I remember. I didn't like the story. I remember reading the story. This was years ago, back in the days when the IRA was bombing, when Northern Ireland was in the grip of terrorism and anger and bloodshed. I still remember reading the story of the bomb that exploded, a father and his adult daughter affected by the bomb dramatically. He discovered there at the scene that she had died. Within moments, this father said, I forgive them. And I read that, and I thought, that's not me. No, 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 no. That is superhuman. Someone either has something I don't have or someone's in denial. How can you re-gift something so huge in such an act? But we're suggesting that re-gifting 
of our best gifts is that to which God calls us. So I want to take you to one other biblical passage, this one in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians is my favorite Pauline letter. Favorite Pauline, well, maybe except for Romans. And 2 Timothy. And 1 Thessalonians is really good as well. But for this morning, Ephesians is my favorite Pauline epistle. Because he starts the epistle, spends half of the epistle telling them what they have received in Christ. In fact, I think you can summarize the whole half, first half of Ephesians, by simply saying, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You are rich beyond imagination. And part of those riches is what he says right at the beginning of the epistle, that we have in him the forgiveness of sins. Forgiven. Stop carrying it around. He's lifted the burden. But then Paul had to go and write the second half. And in the second half, he starts talking about how to live out the first half. And it is in that context that we come to these two verses. Simple, but not easy. Chapter 4, Ephesians 4, starting with verse 31. Get rid of, Paul begins, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That first verse, a lot of us understand that verse, if we're living a life where we have not regifted what has been gifted to us, we tend to live with those realities. Things like bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. Those things become a part of our everyday lives. Those are the emotionally negative realities that are deadly to relationships. Deadly. You have someone in your life who you could say, our relationship is characterized by these things, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. It's deadly to relationship. I would dare say that those kinds of emotional experience, experiences are often due to the fact that something has gotten clogged up between the act of receiving forgiveness and regifting it. And when it gets clogged up and doesn't find a way to flow, it can be as spiritually deadly as clogged arteries are physically deadly. So if you have that in your life, if you look at your marriage, your roommate relationship, situation of tension with a colleague at work, a lot of talking behind each other's backs. A lot of anger. A lot of eruptions because that's what one of the words means. Just eruptions, eruptions. If a lot of that is going on, the second verse that we read is the simple, don't read that as being easy, is the simple but not easy answer. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you.
It's one thing to hear the Christmas message, you are forgiven. It's another thing to hear the Christmas re-gifting message, now you go and forgive. That's a lot harder. In fact, you may say, wait a minute, Randy, do you know what he did to me? Do you know how she damaged me? I understand. Forgiveness is something we need every day of our lives. In fact, I have told premarital couples, if you don't know how to forgive, you will not succeed in marriage. Because one thing I can guarantee you, marriage will need healthy doses of forgiveness. It just will. That's the reality. So we suffer the bumps and the bruises of life. A spouse is late and we miss our dinner reservation. A colleague misses something and we have to stay an hour after work to get it done. Somebody cuts us off on the freeway and we slam on the brakes and swerve. That's life. It's one thing to forgive those kinds of things. But what about those deeper pains? What about that? A spouse who cheated on you. A colleague who stole your research. A roommate who has spread vicious and untrue rumors about you, damaging you deeply. What about that? Maybe something we need to do is recognize what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not? Two or three things. Forgiveness is not excusing behavior. Oh, no, I know you didn't mean it. Truth is, they may have exactly meant it. It's not excusing behavior. It's not minimizing behavior. Oh, it wasn't really that big a deal. It was a big deal. It has wounded and injured me deeply. It's not glossing it over. Oh, give it a little time. It'll pass. No, no, no. It will not pass. It will continue to stew inside of me. And it will bring forth a harvest of bitterness. Forgiveness is not excusing. It's not minimizing. It's not glossing over. Forgiveness is being able to say with truth and honesty, that wounded me. It wounded me deeply. It damaged some important parts of me. But I'm making the choice to release you from the emotional debt it feels like you owe me. You are forgiven. Listen to this. The text says, forgive just as God in Christ forgave you. So how did God forgive? Did God gloss over the pain of the relational rupture between divinity and humanity? Did God say to a wayward race, oh, it's not that big a deal, it'll pass? Did God gloss it over, hoping people would forget? Or did God wrap himself in human flesh and come down the starry stair steps of the sky and subject himself to whatever humanity might wish to do him just to be able to look us in the eye and say, despite the pain, I love you and will forgive you. 
That's how God in Christ forgave. So if it's a deep wound and a blithe answer, don't trust it. Whether you're making the statement or someone else's. Because a deep wound deserves deep repentance and deep forgiveness. It's the greatest gift I can imagine. God bestowing upon us. And now he says, freely you have received, freely give. So maybe that deserves a story. Maybe that deserves a fable. The words were penned by the late and, in my view, great Lewis Meads. Lewis Meads was, as I've mentioned before, professor down at Fuller Theological Seminary. He was a scholar of Dutch extraction, and so when he penned the fable called The Magic Eyes, he said it in the Netherlands. The key figure is a man named Folk, F-O-U-K-E, who according to my trusty Google pronunciation guide is pronounced Folk. If it's not pronounced that way, don't tell me. <laughs> So here's the fable from the pen of Lewis Meads. In the village of Fakin, in innermost Friesland, there lived a long, thin baker named Folk, a righteous man, with a long, thin chin and a long, thin nose. Folk was so upright, he seemed to spray righteousness from his thin lips over everyone that came near him, so the people of Fakin preferred to stay away. Folk's wife, Hilda, was short and round. Her arms were round. Her bosom was round. Her rump was round. Hilda did not keep people at bay with righteousness. Her soft roundedness seemed to invite them instead to come close to her in order to share the warm cheer of her open heart. Hilda respected her righteous husband and loved him too as much as he allowed her, but her heart ached for something more from him than his worthy righteousness. And there, in the bed of her need, lay the seed of of sadness. One morning, having worked since dawn to knead his bread for his dough for the ovens, folk came home and found a stranger in his bedroom lying on his, Hilda's round bosom. Hilda's adultery soon became the talk of the tavern and the scandal of the Fakin congregation. Everyone assumed that folk would cast Hilda out of his house, so righteous was he, but he surprised everyone by keeping Hilda as his wife saying he forgave her as the good book said he should. In his heart of hearts, however, folk could not forgive Hilda for bringing shame to his name. Whenever he thought about her, his feelings toward her were angry and hard. He despised her as if she were a common whore. When it came right down to it, 
He hated her for betraying him after he had been so good and so faithful a husband to her. He only pretended to forgive Hilda so he could punish her with his righteous mercy. But folks, fakery, did not sit well in heaven. So each time that folk would feel his secret hate toward Hilda, an angel came to him and dropped a small pebble, hardly the size of a shirt button, into folk's heart. Each time a pebble dropped, folk would feel a stab of pain like the pain he felt the moment he came on Hilda feeding her hungry heart from a stranger's larder. Thus he hated her the more. His hate brought him pain, and his pain made him hate. And the pebbles multiplied. And folks' heart grew very heavy with the weight of them, so heavy that the top half of his body bent far forward so far that he had to strain his neck upward to see where he was going. Weary with hurt, folk began to wish he were dead. The angel who dropped the pebbles into his heart came to folk one night and told him, you can be healed of your hurt. There was one remedy, said the angel, only one, for the hurt of a wounded heart. Folk would need the miracle of the magic eyes. He would need eyes that could look back to the beginning of his hurt and see Hilda not as a wife who betrayed him, but as a weak person who needed him. Only a new way of looking at things through the magic eyes could heal the hurt flowing from the wounds of yesterday. But folk protested. Nothing can change the past, he said. Hilda is guilty, a fact that not even an angel can change. Yes, Poor hurting man, yes, you are right, said the angel. You cannot change the past. You can only heal the hurt that comes to you from the past. And you can heal it only with the vision of the magic eyes. And how can I get your magic eyes? Folk pouted. Only ask, desiring as you ask, and they will be given you. And each time you see Hilda through your new eyes, one pebble will be lifted from your aching heart. Folk could not ask it once, for he had grown to love his hatred. But the pain of his heart finally drove him to want, and then to ask for the magic eyes that the angel had promised. So he asked, and the angel gave. Soon Hilda began to change in front of folks' eyes, wonderfully, mysteriously. He began to see her as a needy woman who loved him instead of a wicked woman who had betrayed him. The angel kept his promise. He lifted the pebbles from folks' heart one by one, though it took a long time to take them all away. Folk gradually felt his heart grow lighter. 
He began to walk straight again. And somehow his nose and chin seemed less thin and sharp than before. He invited Hilda to come into his heart again. And she came. And together they began again a journey into their second season of humble joy. Is your heart heavy? Is your heart hard? Do you walk stooped by a load? It's Christmas. So I say to you, you are forgiven. God is not angry with you. He extends to you what may be the greatest gift you can ever receive. But then he says, it's Christmas. It's the season of regifting. And so he says to you, take that forgiveness. Wrap it in your humility and love. And hand it to that person who has wounded you. And the angel will begin to lift the pebbles from your heart. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. He will save his people from their sins. So be kind, compassionate, forgiving one another just as Christ in God has forgiven you. Amen.